It is time for the Word of God, and when I say this to you, just know that this sermon is hopefully challenging. It's not hard to understand, but it is hopefully refreshing. But I want to describe God well today. So yes, the sermon seems wordy, and it is, because when you do a psalm, you do it knowing that every word matters today. So you'll be like, Pierre, it sounds redundant, but then you should really reverse that and say, why would the psalmist David, why would he create redundancy within the psalm? So I pray that you are not bored with it, but you are reminded with it today. Because if the psalmist felt the need to repeat himself, I pray that you understand why we need to repeat ourselves as well. All right, so let's pray together. Let's get into the Word of God. I'm excited about it. There's a lot of background I have to give you, so bear with me. I have to create the setting if you don't mind. Dearly Father, we thank you because you are God and we love you today. I am excited about your word today. But I pray that everyone in this sanctuary is excited as well because it's not Pierre Cannings that is talking to them. It's not their church attendance that they get their merit today. It's because you and your grace have given us another week in which you want to speak to us. Your word already by itself is powerful. Pierre Cannings is not. Your word already by itself splits bone and marrow. It provides conviction. Pierre Cannings cannot. So what I want to do is get out the way so that we can solely focus on what you can do through your word. But you also let us know that if the seed is thrown, which it will because it's only your word today, that it's really up to the hearts of the people. It's really up to whether or not we are receptive to. So God, I thank you for the opportunity for our hearts to be pruned and pricked And I pray that we will be receptive to that. It's the same with mine, that every word that proceeds out of my mouth gives you glory today. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we want to, okay, I'll start old school with you real quick. How many of you ever played hide and seek as a kid? Good. Everybody. If you didn't, I'm sorry. There were some things that were missing, and I apologize about that already. But Hide-and-seek was a really good game. But if you weren't good at hide-and-seek, everybody knew where you was. If you picked the same spots, everybody knew where you were hiding. Correct? I wasn't good. My brother was better than me. My brother had a tendency to know exactly where I was hiding because I hid in the same spots. But then I got smart one day. I started using what nobody else wants to use. I used my parents because they're believable. They made Paul and they convinced Paul that I wasn't where he thought I was. So I would go hide behind a spot or hide behind my dad or hide in their bed. And then my brother would come in the room looking for me and be like, hey, have you seen Pierre? And my dad, uh, whatever you want to say about it, lied. And he would be like, I haven't seen him. So Paul would obviously believe him at a young age and just dart back out the room. I was safe. Until I started giggling, but that's not the point. I was safe for that time being. Because when you get the parent involved, it becomes believable and it becomes a safe place. You don't have to pick the same spots, I guess what I'm trying to say. Sadly, some of us, when we're hiding from our enemies and we want a safe place, we keep picking our same spots. We keep going back to the clubs where we feel like we are happy again. We keep going back to our friends thinking that's going to make us feel better again. We call the same people thinking they're going to give us the advice to make us feel safe from our enemies. But in reality, you you get the same results because sooner or later, your enemy and your situation and your circumstances are always going to find you because you're always going to the same spots. 
But when you include the Father, and he hides you under the sheets and the blankets of where he resides, and when the enemies come looking for you, they can't find you because the enemy can't understand how powerful of a God you serve. So when God says he's not here, they got to run away with the tail tucked between their legs because they realize they can't get into the room with your father. So my thing for you today is who do you hide in? Where is your hiding place? Because when I get through this sermon, you're going to understand. If you understand the description of my God, he has plenty of places to hide in. You don't have to worry about your problems no more. You don't have to sit there and say, I wonder what's going to happen to me. Doesn't mean your situations and your enemies disappear. It just means you have a place to go when they appear. So bear with me as we dive into your word today. I want you to get into this Psalm chapter 18 or Psalm chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 1. But before you do that, at least give me the historical background in 2 Samuel chapter 22. So turn to Psalm 18. We're going to start in verse 1. But at the same time, I want you to get to 2 Samuel 22. So hold your fingers if you don't mind. Because at least let me give you where and the context in which this psalm was written. David is literally the author of this psalm. If you know anything about psalms, that you can obviously know that some of the psalms were not written by David. They were maybe inspired with, maybe they had some situations with, but they were not written by. They will give you some of those authors within the context. But this one right here in chapter 22 was written by David. So I'm not going to read 22. I'm going to go up for you in chapter 21 because the context of this psalm matters. There's two reasons right now that's happening for this psalm. One, Saul just died. If you know anything about their context with Saul is what? Saul was not necessarily nice to David after he found no more use for David, and David was a threat to his kingdom. So therefore, Saul tried to kill David. We all know that. But even David, in verse 12, says, Then David went and took the bones, chapter 21, of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Gabesh, Gilead who had stolen them from the open square. That's not important, but what happened is Saul just died. You would think that he would be like, leave his bones where they lie, correct? That was the enemy, but that's not the point of this sermon, that we should still take care of our enemy, even though that's a good, valid point. The point is, is that you would think this celebration is coming because Saul is now dead. He no longer has to fool with Saul, but that means his problems are only continuing. You're going to figure that out in a second. Because right after he buries the bones of Saul, then something else happens within the context. Look at verse 15. Now, when the Philistines were at war again. Now, this is critical for your understanding. You think, again, Saul is over, so he would be celebrating. But then Philistines are now at war again with Israel. So now, watch the end of that verse. They fought against the Philistines. David became weary. This is where some of us are, right? We're the same enemy. Even when one battle ends with Saul, another one is beginning. Like you, you always feel like you're always against something, right? Like when you finally have your marriage, right, your kids act up. When you finally have your singleness, you finally got a good girlfriend, something else acts up. When you finally get your singleness and you're content in being single, something else acts up. When your boss finally gets away and now you have another situation that acts up. When you feel like, man, my coworker finally moved on and they finally went to another department and then another coworker acts up. And you're like, Pierre, I can't. So now I'm just weary. I'm just tired. I can't fool with it. Why do you keep bringing the same problems? If you look at our church today, God has, yes, preserved the church. But how many funerals have we had in the last month? 
people are hurting right now. People are experiencing so much death around them. So you're like, well, uh, my aunt just died and now my sister passed away. Or my mom just passed and now my sister is sick. Somebody got cancer in my family. And you're like, God, when will these problems stop? And then watch verse 19. You think I'm done. It gets worse. And then 19, it says, there was a war with the Philistines again. So every time, David seems like he's constantly at war with his enemies. And if you read throughout the context, he was against giants and people that were fighting against him. But after he was victorious, and even during the time, this is what he writes. Go back to Psalm verse 18. And when you get here, please don't become bored with the context. I just had to give you the description so when you look at this verse, you understand the beauty of where I'm writing from because I hope at this point you get to start saying, oh, my, my, my. Because when it's my, 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 it's my God, my shelter, my rock, all these things happen down, but you're going to get this verse. And I want you to get it before we even start reading. These descriptions of God is exactly how we should describe ourselves to God because he is the one who fights for us. He is our shelter in the wilderness. But let's just get there. You ready? I love you. Verse 1. That's not in 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1. It is added in this psalm. It makes it personal. So when I'm going down these my, my, my's, just know this one thing. There's two ways you can separate this. One, it was military, meaning that God was protecting him from the advances of the enemy. Then the second one, which we all know David experienced, is his wilderness experience. Rocks fortresses. You're going to start realizing he starts using words about his experience in the wilderness. That's one separation. Then you could say, hey, it was defensive and offensive, meaning God sometimes will defend you from your enemy, and sometimes he goes on the offense for you. I know this is a lot. I know I'm going quick, but just bear with me. Just know when I'm doing my minds, you're going to understand that Sometimes David is like, I look around and my enemy is constantly coming for me. Saul was chasing me all throughout the wilderness. So when he was in the wilderness, he started to find crevices and rocks and caves. So when he says, hey, Jesus, God, you are my rock. It means something to him. So when he sees Saul die, he has to remember his victory, even though he didn't want Jonathan to die. He remembers his victory because he's like, ah, you were my rock. So when your enemy is chasing you, sometimes God is not necessarily going to attack your enemy. He's just going to defend you. Bear with me. And then there's other times where our guy, when he says, you are my horn, he's on the offense for you. That means he's attacking for you. That means he's going to take care of your battle that day for you. So when you get up in the morning, when you say, God, I hope that you will be my horn today, that means, God, will you go on the offense for me? I don't necessarily want to hide today. I want them to know who you are today. And the last thing about these mys is this, it's personal. Some of y'all can call out these mys right now, but it ain't personal. The reason why he keeps saying mine is because everything is personal to him. But the only reason that it is personal is because he had experiences with God. Bear with me. I, I, my wife, okay, this is the best way to put it. I love my wife, but she likes fancy food, y'all. I told y'all about this place called Uchi. I don't necessarily know what, was, what it was. I just know it was sushi, and I know it was expensive. I told y'all this story, so I'm going to skip to the point. When Monica picks these places, I don't know. How many of y'all do what I do? You start reading the ingredients. I like simple things, y'all. Burger, cheese, bacon, barbecue sauce. Simple. It's like when you go to a fancy restaurant, you still order chicken strips. That's me. I'm, now, I'm advanced now, y'all. I, I do try stuff. I do. I, I, I feel better. 
So I look at the menu. So when I look at the menu, guess what I see? I see the things that I like. So if it says meat, cheese, or any type of seasoning that seems like it little, little, has a little kick to it, that's what I buy. And all of a sudden, on that menu, Monica bought a whole bunch of things that sounded wrapped in things I couldn't necessarily pronounce. But I saw this thing called Wagyu Steak, meat. All I know is it says on a rock. I said, I don't know what the rock does, but it has meat and it has a rock. And the rock is hot, so I guess I got to cook my own food. That's all I knew, but the meat was good because I watched one cooking show with Monica and it said Wagyu. That's all I knew. Expensive, but it was good. Because when you look at the ingredients, you start realizing all these things are good, so you buy it in a menu that you don't necessarily understand. Some of y'all don't understand what you are in. You don't even understand the restaurant you're in. But if you know the description and the ingredients of my God, you'll keep ordering him. Is that some of y'all ain't ordering the right things. You keep picking off the menu of stuff you don't understand. But when you get his description, when you get his ingredients, when we start getting the fact that this is personal, because you have experienced the menu, when you have one show and you watch God show out, and you're like, I know what Wagyu is. Let me pick this ingredient of God because he never misses. See, some of y'all going all off the menu, trying to be fancy, going to things that you trying to pick stuff you can't pronounce. But my God, you can pronounce. And watch these descriptions of my God. And the first thing you're going to understand, he says, I love you. It was personal for him. But you can't have these protections if you don't know who he is in the first place. I want you to first get it. You know how obscure this word is? I love you. It's not found many places in the Old Testament. David went deep to find his word because he's went deep in his relationship with God. So some of us have feeling like we're all pushed out and God is just leaving us alone in our problems and situations. And some of us are like, man, it seems like God never fixes anything. The first thing I want to ask you is, are you in love? You won't feel no protection if you're not close to the protector. Stop saying, oh, God doesn't, God always leaving me out here. God always has me by myself. I'm always feeling lonely when I'm in my circumstances. The first thing you need to understand before I even get to these minds is, are you in love? Look, I can go through anything with my wife because I'm in love with her. So even while I'm in my circumstances, I got love at my house. Some of y'all are going through your circumstances, but you got no love at your house. You come to this church out of tradition and merit, but you don't understand that God wants you to love him. That's why you're here. So therefore, if you come to the house, you should feel what? Protected. Because it doesn't matter what happens outside of the house, I got my wife. doesn't matter what happens outside of your house, you got your God. It, but the house matters. The relationship matters. The love matters. And if some of us have been skipping that love and saying, why aren't you doing stuff? You can't get what you don't understand. So let's get to these minds real quick. I just hope they're personal for you. I just hope you've experienced God differently. I just hope when I say these words, this is what you experience because David already experienced these things. The first my you have right now, he says, you are my strength. You see, I keep saying Lord, and we're going to get to that because the Lord mattered to him, but I'll get to that later. He says, oh, Lord, you are my strength. The only description for this is in your notes. You can scan the QR codes with your phone. Even if you have an older phone, it should work. But if you have a flip, it ain't. If you're online, you can find it online as well. But I, I know there's a lot I'm fixing to go through, and I'm fixing to go through fast. The first thing about strength is not something obscure. The word strength is God is the inner inside source for your strength. It just means whatever you're going through, there is nothing that God can accomplish through you because the source of strength is not from yourself. I'm not talking about physical strength. I'm talking about the internal ability to withstand life circumstances. That only comes from God. 
So therefore, when you're going through your circumstances, stop trying to find your own personal strength. When your marriage is at risk, stop trying to find the strength. When you're in your driveway, you're not sure how you're going to get the strength to be a good father and a good husband. Pray to God, and he says, I am that source of your strength. I provide you with what you need. Some of us are looking at our own strength and saying, I am weary like David. You notice that David, in those wars with the Philistines, he was weary, but they kept winning. Hear me. You can be physically weary, mentally weary, emotionally weary, psychologically weary, but God's not. Understand this. They still won every battle with the Philistines, no matter how weary David was. So you can be weary, but God is still victorious. But you have to lean on your source of strength, even in your fatigue. But many of us keep trucking along, doing the same routines and saying, I can't get over these battles. I'm like, you're not trusting your source. He is the only one who provides you the strength sometimes to get through your battles, not to take them away. Hear this. Also recognize in 2 Samuel chapter 21, those battles didn't go anywhere. Did you notice? It said, and again, and again. And again, he had to keep going through them. So guess what? When you go to work and you keep seeing the same employee that you have to work with, the same ex-husband, the same issues in your marriage, and you're like, hey, God, are you going to take it away? And he's saying no. And again. And again. Suit up. And again. But I am your strength. The second word you're going to get right here is while you are weary, while you are tired, he says, you are my rock. Oh, the Lord is my, my rock. Rock. Can you now envision David running throughout the wilderness trying to find rocks to hide behind? Going in caves. So when he writes this, he writes this from experience. How many of you need something to hide behind? The definition means that he has security and defense in a steep, watch these words, an inaccessible refuge. That means nobody can access it with you. Oh, this is good. It's steep. It's by itself. It is your refuge where nobody else can access you. But the only way that people can't access your refuge is if you go there. You can't have a rock if you don't cry out for one. Some of us are saying, God, I can't find this inaccessible. Everybody seems to access me. Every problem seems to access me. Every situation in my life seems to access me. When are you going to protect me from my problems? But you got to realize something about David's experience is he ran to the rock. The rock didn't come to him. He found the rock so that nobody could access him. But if you're not reaching out for your rock, you won't find it. You can find whatever you want. Access is available. Look at all the things we have in this world and don't tell me you can't find access to other people and other things if you have a problem. But if you want inaccessible refuge, that means no problem can find you there and you are protected from it. That is the only place you can find. It's called my rock. Now, this may get a little redundant. I told you and I warned you, but this word is used 20 times for God in the Psalms. 20 times. The second connotation of this word, it means that you have stability here. Oh, this is good. You know something about a rock is it don't move. I want you to get this because some of us are on some shifty ground. We have created a rocky, our sandy foundation that we haven't found our stability yet. And many of us, when I say the word stability, what's the first thing many of us think of? Financially what? Stable. But have you noticed I haven't said nothing about your finances because when David was running through a desert, he wasn't talking about finances. He was talking about is it stable for me to be here? 
I'm not talking about your savings account. I'm not talking about your access to vacations. I'm not talking about the ability for you to get out and do what you want. That's not your stability. I'm not talking about your relational stability next to. I'm not talking about the fact that your relationship has some rocks and some waves. We're going to talk about waves in a second. I'm talking about when you're going through your waves, do you have a, st a stable foundation? Can you lean on something? You know how I know if you're stable or not? Because the Bible tells me if you're stable or not is that are you tossed by the waves? Does one Sunday you miss, next Sunday you come? You pray sometimes when you feel like it, when it's just bad enough? That lets me know where your foundation is, Pierre, because every time you have a situation, you respond differently. But if you have a rock, it doesn't move and you don't move with it. Nah. Ever seen a kid at the wave pool? Y'all ever seen that wave pool back in the day, Splashtown? Y'all know Splashtown. Splashtown was dope, kind of. Now you look back and you're like, now that COVID's around, you're like, man, that was like disease infected. I mean, you... Everybody touching the same tube. You ever notice that junk? Like, we was all using the same tube. You had your mouth like this. It, COVID should have spread at that point. We should have had COVID like eight years ago at Splashtown, but that's not the point. There's a reason why that thing turned over like eight times. But now, now it's like water fun. I don't know what it's called. It's, it's in spring. And uh, it's good, right? But if, if you ever watch kids at a wave pool, it's funny because what doesn't knock us down knocks them down. It sends them pretty far in distance because their weight is not as stable as ours. I guess what I'm trying to get you to say is the older we get is now the weightier we get, sometimes on purpose or on act. You ever look down, look up, and your kid's like three feet further than they were? That's us. Look at the church today and don't tell me that's not real. People are like, yeah, no, nah, I can come back when I want. That's a kid. People are like, I'll pray when I won't. That's a kid. You're getting further and further away from your foundation. And you don't even know it. Because now all of a sudden your parent got to run you down. But I love this about God is that God's still going to run you down. I love this about God. Next thing he says really quickly, he says, my fortress. He said, oh, Lord, the Lord is my rock and my, I told you a lot of my's, my fortress. Now, let me paint the picture for you. A fortress is a tower that was built to add strength and protection against weak spots in the wall. Hear me. Because there were weak spots where water would get in. The gateways had weak spots. There would be water supplies. And the only way you can access the fortress is if you got on the inside and went up the stairs. Hear me. So, therefore... The reason why some of us are falling down is because you have weak spots in your life just like everybody else. But the only one that's to secure those weak spots in your life is when God makes a fortress in you. That's only accessible from the inside. So it doesn't matter what happens on the outside. It doesn't matter if they're throwing arrows at the outside. The only way through to get to this fortress is from the inside. And what was once weak is now fortified because you have a fortress. So if you have a weak spot in your life, whether it's how you have handled situations and relationships, whether it's how you handle people at your job, if you have a weak spot, then God is saying, I can secure the weak spot if you allow me to be your fortress. 
And that fortress cannot be penetrated from the outside. So it doesn't matter what your employee does. It doesn't matter what your husband does. It doesn't matter what your relationship does. It doesn't matter what your finances does. It doesn't matter what anything does because the only thing that matters is you are on the inside and you can go up them stairs. David had a way of picking his words. And my prayer is that when you see these words, you start asking yourself, in my weak spots, do I lean on God? Some of us still have the same weak spots as last year. If we keep it honest, some of us still had the same attitude problem as last year. Some of us said, I'm going to fix my anger in 2021, and you ain't fixed nothing yet. Let's be real. Some of us had the same lust problem from 2019, and we ain't fixed that yet. And I'm not saying you fix it. I'm saying God can. Weak spots are in everybody's life, including Pierre Cannon's, but I started to learn when I looked at this text. But the second thing about the fortress is it's high. It's in the air. So you have to climb to get to it through the stairs, but you got that part, but it's high. It's not ground level. Guess what? Your problems aren't ground level, and neither is your solution. It ain't in your best friend. Yeah, accountability is necessary. Yes, you need to find a friend in your life that can hold you accountable. Yes, you need to find a good wife, good husband. That's amazing. But it's not there where you find safety. And the reason why many of our relationships fall apart is we keep looking at ground level fixes to a high level problem. So God is saying, if you come on high, guess what? That's where I reside. But you keep building your wall at three feet level and wondering why people jumping over your wall. That's on you. They're going to jump over what they can jump over. But if you put your wall up high and then you fortify the weak spots with a fortress, Nobody can get to that problem. Nobody can get to you because it's inaccessible to the low people. He says, you are my fortress and my, watch these words, deliverer. Oh, man. Nobody can deliver you and save you from your problems. You can't drink that away, smoke that away, club that away, relationship that away. Your next boyfriend won't fix it. Your next marriage won't fix it. Nothing's going to fix. Nobody can be your deliverer. Stop asking a man to be that. Stop asking a woman to be that. Nobody can be your deliverer. That means the person who can save you from your problem. Nobody can take you and deliver you to another place. UPS has a way of delivering your packages. But in order to deliver your packages, they have to do what? Take you through station from station. Have you ever tracked your packages before? Have you realized how jacked up their tracking process is, number one? Number two, you obviously realize how they lose it because they take it through Phoenix, Dallas, Katy. All of a sudden, it's in Cyprus, but you can't find it in Cyprus. You're like, yo, I promise y'all, why is it in Cyprus? I live in the loop. You, you, nobody can find your package. And I know why now if you really just track that joker. It's bad business. And God is saying, look, I'm not UPS. I'm more like Amazon. They lose it too, but let's just stick with the illustration, okay? Don't judge me. I had good experiences. Five star. Because when they say two-day, they mean it. Now, they, they, they making people work. Now, we ain't talking about them drivers. They deserve that check. Boy, they be sweating when they got that van, don't they? <sighs> they be taking pictures and everything, bro. Yeah, I ain't steal nothing. But Amazon mean what they say. They even tell you a timestamp of when they think they're going to get there. Yeah. And my guys, hey, 
You can try different transit options. That's on you. You can try UPS and FedEx. That's on you. But you're going to stop in Phoenix. You're going to stop in Dallas. You're going to stop in Austin. You're going to stop in Cyprus. You're going to stop in Katy. But if you get the two-day, my God says, I know exactly where I need to take you. Some of y'all transiting all over the place because you forgot who you deliver is. So you tried your friends. You've tried relationships. You've tried drugs. You've tried alcohol. And you're like, I can't find my destination. And God's like, if you just knew who the deliverer was. If you stop buying these things off off-brand markets, if you stop buying it from different places that don't matter, go ahead and pay the extra off Amazon and you'll get here. But I don't cost no extra. I already paid your price. Here's the thing about Amazon is if you have Prime. If you have Prime, it's a guaranteed two days. And God's looking at you saying, I sent my son. He paid your Prime. Yeah, it's a two-day delivery process, but not because you pay your yearly fee. I paid that for eternity. I need you to ask me to deliver you. Stop asking everybody else. Your job won't fix it. Your savings account won't fix it. Your new job won't fix it. That's what everybody keeps asking now. Oh, COVID, I'm going to get this new job. We're going to have the same economic problems we had 10 years ago we're going to have again. It's cyclical. We go in circles because everybody's asking for a new delivery process. But then he says this, I told you how to go fast. My God, my rock, he repeats it. In whom I take refuge. This might feel a little bit redundant. Shelter or protection from danger. You got that. Good. We're all on the same page. But then this one's not about stability. It's about security. Oh, this is good. It's a hiding place that is secure. How many of you feel secure when you have nothing? Hear me. No money, no relationships, no security in your bank, no security with no relationships. You, you don't even have a prospect right now. Your DMs are looking real dry. You thirsty. Everything's working, not working out. You search your, you, you get on your DMs just to check knowing it's empty. I'm like, oh, man, here it goes again. You tried four me- social media platforms, six dating websites. Nothing is working. You tried Christian Mingle, Christian Tinder. All that's not working. Only young people know what I'm talking about. Tinder shouldn't be unchristian. They're like an oxymoron. But let's move on. God is saying, you've tried everything to find your security. I'm asking, when will I be your refuge, your hiding place? You ever found a hiding place before? I talked about that already. When, when, yo, when nobody can find you, that's secure. My brother couldn't even find me. It's secure when you have your father. But you know what I also looked up in this verse, this verse for you? Just real quick. Take this note. Refuge requires your loyalty. So when David wrote the verse, he was talking about because I'm loyal, I find refuge. Because I know I'm going to the same place. Hear me. Refuge requires you going. Stop asking God to come to where you are. Now, you're like, Pierre, that's, that's not biblical. You're right. God will come to where you are. And there's times in his grace where he says, hey, I will meet you where you are. But did you notice the prodigal son was already coming home? God didn't go to the city with him. Don't get me wrong. 
It's a beautiful verse. We should all applaud Jesus for winding up his tunic, which was undignified. And we should all applaud God for willing to run, even though it was undignified. We should all applaud God for seeing his son and looking out every day to see if his son was coming home. That's beautiful because that shows his desperation for his son to come home. We can talk about the redemption process when the son came home. But you also got to recognize the story that he let him go into the pigs. He also got to recognize the story. He let him waste all that money, too. I just wonder that your refuge that the son came home to required him to come home. Loyalty. I'm just asking if you coming home. Loyalty. You can't find refuge if you don't run home. David was saying, I know where my refuge is. I go there every single time. It's like getting points on your credit card. Bad idea. Don't do it. Don't have the credit cards. We'll get that. But there's loyalty programs, right? Everybody got a loyalty program because they want you to keep coming back. Then we'll move, and then he starts getting a little military on you. I told you. He says, my shield and the horn of my salvation. I'll stop really quickly, and I'm going to do these very fast. My shield, the horn. Shield is something that protects you. So when David walked into war, he didn't have to carry a shield because that was God. Now, I'm not talking about physically, but he knew when he went into war, God was his protection. So when you go back to work, you don't have to go in dragging your own shield. You're saying God is my spiritual protection. So what he is saying is that no matter what you're going through, I already have a protection as I am. Watch these words. Mobile. What were the first couple things I told you? They were st- Stuck, rocks, fortresses, refuges. Those are all things that you had to go find. Then God says, I'm on the offense with you. So if you move, I'm moving as long as you move according to my war. But if you're moving according to my war, I will be your shield while you what? Move. So some of us, we're like, Pierre, I ain't moving because you said go find my rock. There are moments where you got to find your rock and your refuge and your fortress. And there's other times you need to get on the move with your spiritual walk. Stop standing still and expecting God to protect you while you stand there. You're not even in the war. You haven't even fought your battle yet. And you're like, well, God, uh, why aren't you here? You haven't moved. The shield can lay on the ground as far as we're matter. You're in the back of battle. You over here typing on computers. God's like, when are you going to pick up your gun? So if you want me to be your shield, I need you to start walking towards war. You can't avoid your problems. And some of us say, I'm waiting on God to avoid a problem. Don't confuse your comfort with a lack of action. That's your complacency. War means I'm ready for this. I was built for this. But when I go into it, I got a shield. Then I got a horn. Horn's good. There's two ways you can interpret the word horn. Horn is I already got victory. They blow the horn when they were done. So what is he saying? If he take the first connotation means when I already know when I walk into war, I can already blow the horn because I already know I won. So when I walk in, I walk in to my job, to my marriage, to my relationships, to my singleness, and I walk in, I'm already tooting the horn because I already know I won this joker. And not because you came up with a new argument, not because you went back to your closet, cried, came out and have a brand new argument for your husband, not because you have a brand new profile picture and now they're going to see you in your real life with a new filter. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that you already know 
If you desire it and you're functioning in God's will and you're active in battle, you will be victorious in what he's called you, watch these words, to. But if he ain't called you to it, don't expect no horn of triumphant entry because he hasn't called you to the war you entered. Some of y'all walking into wars God's never called you to. Some of y'all entering battles that wasn't yours in the first place. Some of y'all creating your own battles and then asking God to fix them. God, will you fix this man? That wasn't supposed to be your man in the first place. Oh, God, if you just, if I wasn't dating this woman, I'd be all right. It wasn't your woman in the first place. Stop creating battles and telling me, hey, blow the horn. No. Second, the horn was to gouge people. So God would go to war for you. So not only am I triumphant, the bull would gouge people in war. So they would send the bull, and the bull would just run and be with using his horns to get people for you. So if you take the second one, as God is on the offensive now. I told you, defensive versus offensive. Rock, defensive. Refuge, defensive. Fortress, defensive. Then God says, now I'm running for you. Now, look, I love when God's ahead of me, Doc. I love when God's ahead of me. You don't have to get ahead of him, but if some of us are, love to be ahead of him. Just for the sake of time, the word stronghold that I know you're wondering if I'm going to get to. Stronghold is just another high point. It's a strategic point in the wall similar to a refuge. But then he says something I hope you do. He says this. I call, verse 3, upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And I am saved from my enemies. Hear me. You got to be able to call. I was at a preaching at a camp in Arkansas, beautiful family camp, but a lot of kids, lots. They, they, be, they be having babies, babies. What I loved about the camp is everybody loved the kids like equally. Like you didn't, I didn't even know whose kid was what, like cause they all pick them up. And while I'm preaching, I, ain't gonna, I, I wasn't offended at all because I love the idea of family being in church together. But some of the kids, yeah, they would cry. They've been sitting there for 20 minutes. Okay, 30, 30 minutes. Okay, around 40, 45. But that's not the point. They were sitting there. So I didn't mind if they cried. But when mom and daddy didn't do nothing, guess what they did? They got louder. And when they got louder, guess what the mom and dad finally had to do? Pick them up. And if it got a little louder, guess what they had to do? Back up slowly and walk out the door. That's what I love about my God is that some of us don't call, but if you call, it means to shout. But the word call means that you consistently shout. So sooner or later, when you consistently shout, my God comes and he picks you up. And he places you on a high place. When you start crying, he taps the back of your shoulder to make sure you're okay if you fail. And he starts to say, are you okay? And then you're like, God, I still don't feel okay. And he starts to back you away from your enemies. He starts to go out the door so he can provide you the comfort you need because he's just saying, oh, I heard you shout for me. See, in order for you to shout for him, you got to first know who he is. Because if you know he's your refuge, your strength, your fortress, he knows you, my Lord. He knows he's at your horn. He knows he's your stronghold. When you start to get these definitions right, you don't cry for nobody else. 
You don't cry to your husband first. You don't cry to your wife first. You don't cry to your, your significant other first. The only first you cry to is, like, oh, God, I know you're a fortress now. Oh, God, I need a fortress right now. I need a rock. I need a horn. I need everything. I'm walking into work. This lady is the same lady. I see her every day. She's a secretary. I can't stand this lady. I need a shield right now because I'm going to war. But you won't cry if you don't know who you're crying to. But then he says something else that should rock your world. I may not finish. Who is worthy? It's really hard when God sees a quiet church. Because the word worthy means somebody who is praise worthy, not just worthy. He's worthy to be praised, that type worthy. So it's really hard for God to walk into a church that he sustained through a pandemic and hear quiet. He should hear crying. He should hear saying, you're worthy. I had a bad week, but you were worthy. I sinned this week, but you were my deliverer. You took me on the Amazon Prime, so I am going to praise the deliverer. You have taken me to a refuge in a rock. You are my deliverer. God, you have taken me to a refuge, and you have made me your strength. I am a deliverer. It's really hard when God goes to a quiet church, though. People that have to be prompted in, have to have emotions to praise God. And God's like, I'm already worthy all week. I started on Sunday. The moment you woke up, all the way to Friday, in your Saturday, while you was at the club, I was still your protection. How in the world could you walk into a church and say, I ain't worthy? And let me stop for a second before you get too emotional. Because on Monday, he's praiseworthy. On Tuesday, he's praiseworthy. On Wednesday, he's praiseworthy. On Thursday, he's praiseworthy. So every single day you wake up in the morning, you should say, ah, he's praiseworthy. And guess what? Even while you're still fighting the Philistines, he's still praiseworthy. Even while you walk into war, he's still praiseworthy because he's your shield. Even while you think you're losing, God's saying, I'm a horn. I'm still praiseworthy. If we get the definitions right, there's no point in your life where you could ever say he ain't praiseworthy. Why? Because he starts to describe it. I don't have time for this point in my sermon. Y'all know Apple phones. I don't know if Androids do this because Androids are always behind. But there's a new feature on Apple phones where they have learned who the spam callers are. <laughs> Somebody's just a little upset. It's okay. Some of y'all are probably freezing right now online because you have an Android. That's your problem. But there is a new feature on the Apple phone. And you could say block unknown callers or block potential spam. Because nobody wants to be interrupted from what you're doing with potential spam calls. Nobody wants to pick up a potential spam. My God's saying, I need you to turn on the feature. Because when you choose to make me my, 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 I will block all your potential spams. You don't have to pick up the phone and be interrupted from what I've called you to do because I already blocked them for you. The second thing I'm going to say about blocking spam is something cool. is that you don't have to do anything when he's blocking it. He's already filtering through your enemies for you. Because right underneath that, if I had time for it, it would say that there was cords of death all around you. That Sheol is right there with you. If you would look at the text and you see it beautifully, it says this, my enemies are right here. I'm just going to read it for your edification. 
The cords of death encompass me. Remember I told you I'll talk about waves a little later? He's saying spam calls going to come. This is why you need the mice. This is why you need to call. So if you were to envision this sermon, I wanted to do it backwards for you because I was going to lay out the problem for you and then give you your solutions. But as you can tell, according to where we are in this sermon, I had to give you my mice because they're more important than your enemies. I love this about the song. He didn't put the enemy part first. He put the enemy part last because the enemies don't matter if you know who your God is. So I'm not going to spend too much time on what the enemies are trying to do in your life. Guess what? You live on this earth long enough. You already know. You've seen it already. You've experienced what encompassed you. But if you just get the imagery, he was saying waves. You know what I love about waves? If you've ever been to the dirty beach of Galveston. Waves. I love Galveston, by the way, for those who are offended. I, I want to I chill out there. I don't want to go in the water. I just like water. But waves come in, and another one comes. So right now, you may be experiencing a little bit of that behind-the-wave experience. You got hit during the COVID season, and now it's calming down. But guess what? There's always another wave coming. The second part of the word he uses is encompass me. That means it's a flood now. So he keeps using water type experiences to let you know that either you're going to have your seasons of waves or you're going to just going to catch a flood. Either way, his descriptions are real. The cords of death encompass me. I'm getting hit with some waves. The torrents of ungodliness terrified me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. But then he says in verse 6, just for your own edification, in my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God for help. And watch these words. He heard my voice out of his high place in his temple, and my cry for help before him came into his ears. So even if I just went into every definition of Sheol being a place where there's death and all these things, and keeps saying the word death wasn't coming. Guess what, guys? Problem's going to be there. Death is coming. And it comes like a wave. Don't tell me in the season we are in right now that death don't come like a wave. Death is coming off and on, off and on. Somebody's at cancer. Somebody's doing. I know some of y'all are hurting right now. You've experienced that. You experienced cancer. You experienced some of your life is falling apart. And you're like, God, when is this wave going to end? I am in a flood and I don't feel anything. But my God says, if you call upon me, I will hear you even in my high place. And I will be your mice but I need you to call because you will always have my ear. I love y'all today, but there's something about finding your place. For Father's Day, my wife was gracious. She got me one of those massagers that just like hit you over and over again. I don't know what that's called, like a gun. I appreciate that. But one of the most thoughtful gifts that she didn't tell me she was getting me was a shower head. Don't laugh at me. It's real. But she knew that the shower head was something different because it has that rain feature, y'all. It goes over your head. It has a little stick. We ain't got that kind of money, so it was on Amazon, two-day prime, you know what I'm saying? has a little stick, and the stick extends over your head so you can feel like you're in some nice rain. Because there's something about a shower, y'all. This is where all these illustrations come from. I literally go to the shower and ask God for illustrations. Because in the shower, guess what? You close your door. There's, it's privacy. 
is privacy. And when I close the door, I walk into my privacy. I lock the door because I don't want nobody interrupting my time with the Lord. And then I turn on my soon-to-be new shower head, and it's going to sprinkle down on my head. This bald head needs comfort. But then there's times when my kids don't understand my privacy time, and they knock on my door. Now, be careful where I go with this illustration because I'm not going to call my kids enemies, but let's keep going. <laughs> and they knock on my door. And I respond by saying, Daddy's in the shower. And then I don't hear any more knocks. They may still be sitting right at the door when I walk out the shower, but I don't hear any more knocks. Because guess what? My God is your time of privacy. It is a place where your enemy can knock, but they can't get in. It's a time where God can speak to you and you can cry out before your God so that you can continue doing the work in which he's called you to. Because guess what I'm not saying? I can't stay in the shower all day. I can't be there and not face my problems one day. I can't stay in the shower and not talk to my kids and my wife. So what I'm trying to get you to understand is that, yeah, go into your fortress, your rock, your refuge, but then also come out with your shield. I just hope that some of y'all experience victory in some of your problems because y'all been running the wrong way. Let's do a new type of transit. I'm just asking that some of y'all go to the shower because we all get stinky sometimes. And some of y'all stink. Let's pray. <laughs> now I'm joking. Let's pray together. And I'll do it differently today. If you're tired and weary like David when we set this up, remember I said he was weary. He fought the Philistines over and over and over again. Saul just died. One of his problems just passed away, but another one came. And if you're like, Pierre, I'm in the midst of a wave. I'm in the midst of the back end of a wave. I am tired. I am weary. And I need my Lord. I need my strength. I need my refuge. I need my rock. And I have forgotten to call upon his name. The second challenge today is if you have forgotten that he is praiseworthy even in the midst of your problems. That you've forgotten who your rock is that you haven't called out to his name. But today you want to reestablish it and you want to come to your rock. You want to find a cave. You want to find your shower. If that's you today, I just want you to stand with me. You don't have to come to the altar, but I want those to be reminded of where we can go. You've cried. You've wept. You've shed tears. But I'm trying to put you right in the proper perspective. I'm trying to get you that strength back. I want you to go to the right spots again. But I also want you to know who your God is. And if you have forgotten who your God is, if you have forgotten what God can do, if you have forgotten the descriptions of your God, and today you're saying, you know what, thank you for reminding me who my mind is. If that's you today, I just want you to stand with me. While Chris sings, I just want you to spend time with the Lord. And even if today you just decide to cry out, if you're just standing just to cry out, to call the right places, I want this to be. We're ending our series on strength. We're getting into Youth Month next week. And I'm excited about Youth Month because no offense, it's for everybody. But this is our last series where we can be reminded that we have a place to go. 
And if you need a place today, it's not the physical building of the church that I'm worried about. You got a place in God. So today, if that's you, just stand while Chris sings. Cry out to God. The altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness is bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness is bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. One more time, one more time. Look, I always tell people standing doesn't, it's not a magic trick, right? Like you standing doesn't make you commit to God. You standing is saying, God, I want to try to commit today. Today I want to say that I want to run to you again. That I want to run to your refuge, your strength, your stronghold. I want to, I need to be safe. But the second thing I'm going to challenge you today that God put on my heart is if you're just in your problem and you feel all alone by yourself today, if you feel like you're not in your refuge, you haven't found strength, you haven't found your rock, stand and say, God, I need you right now. I need you so bad. I need you in my marriage. I need you at my job. I need a shield right now, God. I need a horn. And if that's you, I want you to stand. Because you're saying, God, I, I need what you are. The, here's the thing about the descriptions I gave you today. Those descriptions don't change over time. What they are were then is what they are now. So if you're saying, God, I need this, I need what Pierre described today in my life. I am weary. I am tired. And while Chris sings again, this is for you to stand. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness is bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness is born with the precious blood.